0: When'd you start teaching at uh, Ohio State?
1: Uh, I would. Uh, it, it was around uh, 2019-ish. Uh, I can't remember specifically, but September, the fall, 2019. A relationship from Nationwide called me up. They needed somebody. Uh, they needed somebody to teach data governance to a uh, uh, a, a, a master's program. He remembered me, uh, and uh, he and I connected, and it kind of took its its own course from there so 2019 and i'm still doing it today uh i took a little took a little pause we've restructured how the program operates so my next uh my next class will start up here in the fall
0: okay nice and i mean was, was the pause because of everything that's changed in the industry recently around ai or or you know the the need now for well i mean the Data's been a focus for a long time, but it seems like it's even more so over the last 12 to 18 months, right?
1: So so no, actually, uh, and it's funny you mentioned that, because I am tweaking my course to account for uh, AI, generative AI, and all those elements and the importance of good, strong quality data to make that happen. Uh, It purely shifted, and I love this though, Uh, the value that my course brings it's nice if the students get a foundation of how data operates, and so they wanted to put them through more of the foundational courses of R, Python, uh, use case development, and then once they have that foundational knowledge, I, I come in and start talking about, okay, you know how to do it, here are some things that you need to keep in mind as you are doing it on, on, on managing the governance side of those things the The other thing that I love doing for my course, which is another reason, they've backed me up until I'm now on the last cycle of the program. Uh, I have a lot of relationships with chief data officers ac- across the country and data experts. and i I really love to get those experts to come in. We, usually, we have three to four uh, three to four sessions or three to four classes where I have one of those leaders in there. And we talk about governance, we talk about data, we talk about analytics. We really give them a nice little grounding on what the real world looks like when they're done with this program. And so it it, it ties in very, very nicely to the capstone projects that people are doing.
0: Okay. And is it in the computer science school or is it in the, the business school or... Yeah, it's in the
1: engineering. It's in the engineering program, uh, and, and it's called, oh, right. it's it's called a Master's of uh, Translational Data and Analytics. And I can provide all the all the content and detail. And it's actually something I'm very I'm very proud of because uh, uh, I was there when it started, and then we've been starting to win some awards. And uh, it's just kind of nice to be a part of it. I, I work with some great people uh, that I get the opportunity to meet on a periodic basis. Obviously, I'm not professional teacher i didn't come up through those ranks but i learned a lot from them uh and and it's been a great it's been a great success and it's been a great success for this program the students that we get are all over the board i we i've had everything from uh, housewives that are looking to make a re-entry back into the job market i've had engineers Uh, so figuring out how to tailor the content to meet everybody's needs is, it's been one of the most, uh, exciting things that I've had the opportunity to do. So, yeah, it's a fun, it's a great program. I'll send the details and, uh, you know, hopefully we can include it. I know my, my, my program administrator would love the opportunity to, uh, showcase this program to others that are out there.
0: No, I mean, that, I mean that's great, right? I mean, I, I honed in on that, right? Because it's it's always interesting, you know, to you know have an, a, a career like yourself, like like you've had, right? Um, and then you get the opportunity after all these years of experience to go back and, I mean, you're teaching and educating every day, right? But you're with people that you're working with, right? And but you get the opportunity, you know, to to, to teach and educate people who aren't in your industry. And who you don't talk to every single day, right? So it's a whole different level of mentoring and coaching and you know teaching that you know just sounds interesting, sounds sounds awesome, right? Sounds like it'd be pretty energ- energizing, right? It, it, it,
1: I it's probably I uh, typically our classes last a semester. It's about twelve to thirteen weeks, uh, and it is probably one of the most exciting twelve to thirteen weeks. And if you want to ever see or determine if you know, content, you really know content and subject matter. Uh, the best thing you can do is then try to teach it to people that really have no experience with it. And I've been having a blast. I, I, have had, uh, I've had people come up to me in companies, uh, that, that they ended up landing jobs after the course. So it wasn't data governance specific, but after they finished the program. They've landed company, uh, landed jobs at companies locally, and they'll come up and say, "Hey, I took your data governance class. One of the best experiences I've ever had." And I'm just sitting there going, "Oh my God, I love this! I mean, this talk about satisfaction and fulfillment, and something we should all strive for. Uh, if you have the opportunity to step in an education uh, world and help students, and coach them, and answer their questions, and see that the the knowledge and the learnings and the experience you have is, is it is valuable." Uh, it's fun. It, it's it's been the best experience, and I've loved every every, uh, every minute of it.
0: That's awesome. Now, no, that's great. The,
1: the one thing I would say that I I still am not good at when it comes to teaching, especially at university, the technologies there. I mean, they're they're specific to the teaching community, so I constantly am asking these stupid questions. Uh, how do I do this? How do I make this available? How do I do? <laughs> not content, but it's like, I don't know all of this admin and I've, I've got multiple email addresses. So staying on top of, uh, they finally have started realizing, just send it to his personal one his work. He'll get it then. <laughs> and, and, and so it works out m- much better, uh, uh, that way. But that's the only pain point that I've had. And they work with me and are saints with helping me through the questions that I bring to the table.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can imagine, you know, one of the things that's always was interesting for a consultant, right. And I, I at times had like one client. So you always kind of just 90% of your environment of technology was with the client, but then I started bouncing around to different clients. And so you get to the point where it's like, I mean, it like, it takes hours just to get on the Wi-Fi, Right. And, and everything. Right. And even at home, right. I experienced these challenges where my kids are like, Hey, I'm having a problem with this and that. I'm like, they're like are you the technology guy like can you figure this out and i'm like guys like uh, no
1: <laughs> i'm not that technology i'm not that guy i'm not that technology guy
0: yeah i'm not yeah. help desk
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh it sounds like you and i live similar lives because i get the same question and i'm like huh yeah that's not me but you work in technology and yeah. eh, not not this type
0: yeah, it was even worse when COVID happened, right? Like, why is the internet so slowed out? I I don't know, right? Like, because I mean, everybody's at home watching Netflix and no one's, you know, no one's working right uh, now, so. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I, I could not agree with you more. And, and I still get those questions and I'll still get my kids calling me on, hey, I'm, I'm having this problem. Uh, yeah, I'm not your guy.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not the right guy. Go yeah, Google. Uh, That's what Google's for. That's what Chat GPT is for now, right?
1: Uh, uh, well, once again, another exciting space. Chat GPT. Talk about talk about uh, unknown transformation. I mean, yes, it's great. Still, a lot of unknowns on how we operationalize that. Uh,
0: going yeah, forward. and and I don't. I mean, it sounds like right. I mean, you, in your career, you're probably. It sounds like you're in the you know the data, and you've been in there for at the least the last. 15 plus years. Right. Um, and I remember kind of the, the hype of AI in like 2016, 2017 timeframe I actually helped, uh, deliver and implement at a large telecom virtual agents across, you know, the, the chat platform, right. Where we were able to virtualize around 80% of the use cases that were out there. Um, it's still out there today. And I just remember the hype that, and I even jumped on the hype wagon then, right? I was like, oh, yeah, blockchain, it's all going to change the world, right? And and then all of a sudden, like in 2019, it just seemed to kind of pause, right? Or, you know, it, it stalled. And I even remember insurance cases, right, where, you know, you could file a claim or you could, you know, it could read the email that you submitted and automatically respond back and look at all the different data, you know, and analyze the, the question and everything as well right and um i mean are you seeing something similar i mean do you first of all do you remember that time right oh, yeah. when it was such a big hype right
1: uh well and i i'll
0: spe- i'll speak
1: specifically to blockchain because in blockchain uh the hype that we went through or the insurance industry at least from where i was i was sitting at nationwide a lot of interest and seeing how block blockchain could change you know change the way we do or handle insurance, and, and they were finding some isolated use cases, but they weren't. It wasn't like game changer, you know. It wasn't something that you sat there and go, "Wow, you leveraged blockchain and it did X." Now there may be those situations out there that I'm not familiar with but they were taking steps like setting up governing bodies setting up uh, you know communities across the industry and it it just seemed like everybody was trying to uh, you know figure out what how do we incorporate this in our day to day and it just never kind of came it never really felt like it came to a that aha moment where here's the magic we have figured it out and here's the value that's there it's still around isolated use cases but yeah it was a lot of hype and it's kind of kind of you know, dim- diminished over the course of time. And and, and Gen AI seem, seems to be the same type of, a lot of hype, a lot of possible opportunities, but, it, you know, getting it to the real world and getting it to an operational state, uh, it seems like it's, you know, people are starting to realize it's not as easy as as you would think. It's it's not a, a, a silver bullet, a magic button. There's work that needs to be done. And it, it feels like we're just starting to realize the amount of work. That's going to take to make something like this uh, production ready, for lack of a better word. Now, where I do see some opportunity, and, and I, I this is Mark's personal opinion, uh, new associates, I think new associates that don't have experience, as opposed to trying re- to rely on a mentor to help coach them and help guide them, especially I'll use developer as as a uh, as as one example hey, I need to know how do I build this type of code to do this type of join or this type of, it'll give, it does an excellent job helping somebody new in that space, uh, you know, get a starting point for the code creation. Um, great opportunity. Uh, I think there's a lot or a wealth of, of uh, uh, opportunities that will exist in that space. But I think the more experienced people, I don't know if they will see as much value out of the gate in those uh, generative AI models going forward,
0: yeah, and and I haven't played around too much with Copilot, but I do you know talk to some friends that are you know developers and you know they to your point right I mean they love Copilot like to the point where it creeps them out a little bit right It's like they start typing and all of a sudden it's like writing all the code for them and again I, I don't want to speak too far ahead because I haven't actually experienced it, but they feel like it's like in their head a little bit too much, almost like when. You know, you're talking to a buddy at lunch about like a topic and then you go to your phone and an hour later, that topic pops up on your newsfeed. Right. It's like it creeps them out a little bit. Right. And um, and that's pretty cool. Right. And I was using ChatGPT last night to help me with a problem I was having with one of my Linux servers. And it gives me the whole command and everything. I think the experience is amazing. It's so much better than it used to be. But the challenges seem to still exist from 2016 to 2017 2018 and and now you've still gotta look at the data and make sure you're training it with the right data, right? Like I mean the companies that are your size and my at my old you know company at Accenture, there's so much historical data there with content around powerpoints or Word documents that is outdated. like how do you know I mean that's got to be a good piece of your role is making sure you're training the future of your AI. If you go down that path with genera- generative AI, you're, you how do you know you're training with the right information? I mean, that seems to be... And, and, and that's the million dollar question.
1: And where I do see, uh, y- you know, one of the things I think Ch- uh, ChatGPT will bring to organizations going forward, uh, a lot of folks look at things like, this is a new capability, you know, generative AI, it's a new thing. If, if you want to get to a point where there's uh meaningful output, you're going to have to look at your end-to-end process. How do you, what data do you did you capture? How are you capturing it? How is it accurate? Is it current? Is it the most up-to-date? And I think before you start doing the work in the model, you need to kind of check the box on the data that you're going to be leveraging and the processes that you have in place. Because if you don't, you're gonna have those problems that you've you've just described. It's it's not current, it's not relevant, it's not giving me the answers that are based on today's world. And it's only going to hurt uh adoption going forward if you don't get through that. So I think Gen AI, if you notice where it can have some uh potential for adding value, it it you know, people need to start looking at the end to end process that it's gonna be impacting as opposed to just that, you know, the 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 generative AI component, the model, whatever you're going to be using. You need to look at everything from end to end and really look at it as a product. And I, I think that's where a lot of organizations, they see the capability. I want to enable that capability, but then they don't think about, well, how does this truly come back to the business? And if they don't do that, then they won't know if that data uh, has the accuracy required to, to provide it, uh, you know, meaningful output.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that totally makes sense too, right? I mean, in you know, one of the things when we're, you know, developing use cases for virtual agents, you know, what's the benefit of virtualizing a process that's pretty poor today with just a, you know, what what's what's the purpose, right? So, I mean, when we took advantage, we actually took advantage of, look, if we're actually going to do this as a virtual agent, let's see if we can streamline the process, right? And, you know, there was, uh, there was an example use case. One of the use cases we had was phone swap, just swapping out an old phone for a new phone, and sometimes that would take, you know, let's just say it takes 30 minutes. I don't remember the exact time frame. I do know how long it actually took with the virtual agent. It only took two and a half minutes with the virtual agent, and part of that was because the response time, but also we streamlined the process, right, and we made the process better and faster, and so, um, you know, we took a lot of the, you know, headaches out, and so it was a much better experience for someone, right, than waiting 30 minutes with someone who's live,
1: but, but a lot of that is non-technology specific
0: exactly. action. It, it,
1: it, and I think that's where the, the, the hook, yes, we are at a transitional time. Yes, this is a neat capability, but we're still going to all have to go back, take a look at how we deliver and really find those efficiencies in our process in order to maximize the, the that, value of, uh, uh, of generative AI going forward. And, you know, it, it, kind of is a reminder, we should always be doing that. You know, it's, it's one of those things we should constantly be criticizing and evaluating our processes, constantly looking, how can I automate? How can I make it better? How can I eliminate steps? How can I streamline efficiencies? And I think chat GPT is going to be one of those things that forces us to just, here's a, here's a, here's a, a really cool technology that can, that can be very useful, uh, but to do or be successful. Let's take a look at how we deliver, and if you know, the, here are those opportunities that we want to um, act on, that we want to change. And I think that that's going to be the nice thing. It's going to really change how we do work going forward. And yes, we will have some nice, cool capabilities to help us with with uh, the output from that work. So I'm 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 excited, uh, but it's. It, it, you know seeing uh, thinking that generative AI is going to be that magic silver bullet, eh, well, not quite not, not, I'm not quite convinced at this point in time.
0: It almost feels like there's you know we've made improvement and then we're gonna to have to make even more improvement, right It's and it and it sounds like right, and I don't I probably don't follow it as much detail as I should, but you know, with you know open AI and some of the announcements that are supposed to be coming, they're they're continuously making huge amounts of improvement, right um in their journey. so. It'll be interesting for sure.
1: And, and, you know, the one thing that I would say that's, that's, uh, it's very intriguing. I have just started seeing some of the detail. Uh, it, it, they're starting to talk about a store where people can upload their projects that they've been working on now that, that, that is, uh, you know, that's going to, that is a person's idea. That is somebody, you know, taking it from concept to execution I think that's going to be very interesting to see what, what are folks doing with some of these capabilities that might be leveraged. I think there could be, I'm intrigued by that store concept that they're going to be, I mean, it's almost similar to the uh, Apple app store and look and look, and look what happened there. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's got a, it's got a life of its own and it's been, uh, you know, beneficial. I know I just downloaded a couple apps over the holidays, uh, I I think that storefront will be the, uh, the next iteration on where we can potentially realize value in this space going forward. Yeah.
0: So, you know, staying on a similar topic, right? When you're talking about training these types of models going forward, are you even doing like advanced analytics, right? Um, or other things like that and, you know, applying machine learning to analytics? You know, it seems like, you know, over the years, data lakes became really popular right and you still hear about them today and i got to be honest it always made me nervous right a data lake cuz you got all these data sources you know you know everything's going into one location right and you know how do you know if you've got customer information all over an enterprise right how do you know that's the single source of truth right how do wh- what is a single source of truth and it almost feels like people have taken a step back from data lakes uh, but I might be reading this incorrectly. I might be—I might have missed something. Where people, the data stays where it is, um, but when you need it, you pull it in. It's almost like a virtualized data source, and you provide your analytics and you look at it, or maybe you ingest it in a data lake. But you're not constantly feeding these huge data lakes. Do I have that right, or am I am I wrong on that?
1: Hey, you know, I would say uh, obviously data lakes have a lot of data in there. Uh, people have been building they've been ingesting they've been storing data in lakes for quite some time so I think there's a valuable asset there now I will say that valuable asset has it been uh, uh, has it been the best managed is it to a point where it, it's hard to get if you're not careful and you just create a data lake without the right rigor around cataloging around indexing around, uh, documenting what you have in that lake, uh, and 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 have the foresight to say, I need folks to be able to get this data out of here. Uh, it's very tough, a- and you you know you have that asset, you have that thing that you've built, but it's basically a not a very user friendly or a not a value oriented asset. Uh, I think there's a lot of value because there's been work in creating a data lake. There's a lot of opportunity to clean it up, catalog, and and try to take advantage of what you've already started. I do think, though, data virtualization and some of the other capabilities, uh, allowing folks to have the right tools to uh, explore data on their own, self-service data prep tools, uh, data wrangling, uh, data discovery tools, I think that you, you, we're going to see... Hey, let's leave it at the source for some of the data that's that's uh, not been ingested in some of the lakes. Let's leverage the lakes. Let's see if we can have some self-service data prep solutions that allow for us to start joining some of those details. And when we get to an operationalization state where we're taking, you know, we have a finished product, we know what we want to do. I then I think you are going to see some of that virtualization. And I know we're exploring some of those capabilities uh, at Farmers, and we did it nationwide as well. And I do think there that is going to be a shift. I, do I think there's going to be large-scale data lakes? Uh, I, for some companies, it probably makes sense. For others that are maybe starting on the journey, it might not necessarily be the right direction uh, for them into the future.
0: So if I understand correctly, I mean, you spent a good amount of time just cataloging the data, right? And Correct. And collecting yeah. the metadata so that... You know, the business, right? I mean, on the business side, you're going to have someone who's going to come in and they're going to have some sort of AI or advanced analytics background, right? And they're not going to want to depend on you guys necessarily from the technology standpoint to, to, you know, put in a ticket that says, I need access to this data, right? You want, or where is this data, right? You want to be able to catalog it proactively and allow them to go explore that data on their own and then bring it in and then maybe a ticket, you know, they, oh, I'm missing something because you haven't gotten to it yet. But, you know, you're constantly cataloging the data with metadata and, and, and tracking it and everything, right? Is that- Yeah, yeah. Con- and, and,
1: and the way I like to think of it is, uh, you know, me and my team, my team and I, we're librarians. Uh, we are constantly making sure we have the inventory of books in a catalog, the Dewey Decimal for those that have, uh, you know, that maybe aren't as uh, advanced in age as myself, you know, the Dewey Decimal system was the first data catalog that ever existed out there. It 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 gave you the, you know, the reference on where you could find it. It gave you the summary. It gave you the author, It gave you that basic information on an asset, a book in that case, that allowed you to see is this something that I want to explore. It gave a nice little summary. In most instances, that that's the life of a data governance leader. It's you're the librarian for your company's data products, data assets. How do you capture all of that detail and information, and make it uh, make it available to those data scientists, to even some of the business users, users that are out? There? You know, if citizen data science citizen data science continues to expand. I need to not just focus on the data science community, but I need to make sure everybody. And understand what what they're looking for and we we are focused in on that and it gets tough because within a company uh, just like in a library uh you're constantly adding you're const- it, 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 we're constantly going through change you're constantly bringing something new in uh you're creating new assets staying on top of that and and making sure that you're 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 capturing that information, getting it into your technology, and then making it available. It's a it's it's a steady it's a steady state of work every single day. Especially for, from a privacy perspective, I know you mentioned uh, you know sensitive information, personal information. You know, in today's environment, you don't want too much sprawl of sensitive and personal information. Uh, us Us staying on top of that cataloging will help us make sure that we. You know, we can be a signal on if there's a problem or if there's a concern or if there's something going on, uh, you know, as we mature our cataloging capabilities, we'll be able to, you know, hopefully highlight those uh, potential various of of interest
0: for our privacy teams, our business teams, and our IT teams going forward. So I know I know, I was I was exposed to what is a GDPR, right, in Europe, um, probably four or five years ago. I've made, I mean, maybe a little bit more, right? Um, And that's, obviously, I think the parent company of of farmers, right, is Zurich, right? So I know they they deal with that on a regular basis. Has GDPR made it, did those types of regulations made it over to the U.S., right? Probably maybe not as strict, but I mean, to your point, sensitive information, you can't have it, you can't have my social security number all over the place because, you know, that's going to be a nightmare, right, to manage, Yeah,
1: Absolutely. And uh, a couple things, GDPR as it stands uh, in Europe has not made its way verbatim over to okay. uh, over to the U.S. However, uh, and, and this is one of the pain points, you know, the states do set, and California has set and defined a regulation uh, where farmers is based, and uh, they there are some very rigorous standards around uh, uh, managing customer information. And it, it, it it's nice because managing customer information is a utmost priority and should be a priority for any company doing business, but especially for farmers where we deal with 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 customers uh, in the way that we do, um, where it's a little bit challenging. Every state seems to have their own little nuanced uh, GDPR program staying on top of all of those states and making sure that we are complying uh, you know that gets a little cumbersome uh but it's still a top priority for us as we go forward it, it would be nice to see you know some federal legislation uh, very similar to like a gdpr that applied consistently but uh will it happen maybe uh i know there's been discussion would i love it absolutely but i also think that even if there were a federal some states would take uh W- w- you know, would take, uh, yeah, they would still want to incorporate their thoughts around that. And they, as well, they should, I mean, they, they know their constituents, they know their organizations. Um, it's just, uh, you know, that's an area. It's always a tough, it's a tough area to, uh, to engage in.
0: Yeah. At risk of getting too political, right. And turn this into a political podcast, but it's a political environment these days. Right. So, I know you, you might, yeah, yeah, we could argue, or someone else will argue that the states have their rights and the federal rights and everything else, but I mean, that's got to be so hard for you guys. I I mean, all the regulation, right it is is got to be difficult for you guys to to manage, right? I mean, that's just it
1: it is i I mean, it is and yes, you know, there's merit on both sides, so I'm not saying one or the other. I know from a business perspective. It, it just makes it so much easier when you have one that gives a, you know, a, a nice firm foundation versus, ver, uh, you know, versus 50 versions of something. And each one, you know, quite honestly, each one, yeah, that is an interesting insight. You know, that's that an interesting principle that you're wanting to enable. Can't we just make it everybody? Everybody, you know, it's, it, uh, so that's, that's the only, uh, that's the only, you know, difficulty, but, uh. You know, it's part of doing business. It's what we do. We've got a great team out there, staying on top of these legislative matters, and uh, 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 we're uh, we're we're doing all the work we need to to make sure we're uh, compliant.
0: It, you know, touching a little bit on the tooling, right? Because that always fascinates me, right? Because you know, with in this age of automation and everything else, right? How much of the tooling really can help you? you know, um, go explore and find data and help you try to proactively categorize it, catalog it, right? And maybe even help you with some of these policy controls and regulations, right? I mean, are there things out there today that, you know, are pretty advanced or is it you know that's a that's a gap in the market. No, no, that I, there are a number of different solutions that are out there
1: today. I mean, I could I, I could name a litany of them: uh, ASG, uh, Oval Edge, uh, who we do a lot of work with, uh, Calibra, Informatica has has a solution. All of these technologies uh, have a lot of the capabilities needed to uh, that are needed to manage a, a, a complex environment. I think the key is you just got to pick one, and you got to pick one that resonates with your business and IT teams from a use perspective, which is what we, you know, we went through, uh, did a lot of work figuring out, okay, what type of user interface, uh, what type of uh, search capabilities, what type of features really resonate with the folks that would be using it. We selected Oval Edge that that really meets our our, our needs. Uh, And, uh, from there, it's been a matter of just setting it up and, and making sure the technical pieces can connect into our ecosystem. I think that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where the work begins. And I, you know, I, I think a lot of times folks underestimate the amount of time it takes, you know, companies make it sound like it's easy. Oh, you get this, you'll have this. It's easy. Snap of the fingers. It's going to be done. Uh, It takes work, it takes time, Uh, you know, uh, maybe in the perfect world, it's easy, but companies have practices that they've put in place that make it not so easy and rightfully so. And you got to work through those and any company that comes out there and says, oh, this is going to be the easiest thing you've ever done. You just have to take X, connect it to Y, and you're going to get every run, run from that type of organization because it is tough. It is hard work. And the best thing that you can have is is somebody that's out there going, you know what, it's going to be a tough one, but I can tell you, we're going to be with you during this journey and we are going to help you and we're going to give you the right resources. That is, you know, when I hear that, that's a group that knows what this is going to be like. I want to work with that type of group. And I feel like we've, we've got that type of partnership uh, with our, with our partner.
0: Now, and that's great, right? And it kind of reminds me of two topics. One that integration, right? I mean, it's connecting to a MySQL database or, you know, a Postgres database is nothing like connecting to, you know, uh, well, I don't know if you have this, right? DB2 on the mainframe. Well, that'd be JDBC, but you've got like VSAM or QSAM or, you know, file system data on the mainframe or, you know, an AS400 server data source, right? I mean, they're not the same, right? And, you know, integrating into those is not easy, right? I mean, I mean, that's probably what you're talking about is it's not straightforward and yeah. No, and, and you've hit the nail right on the bucket and trying to
1: understand those technologies you have and then connecting in, you just got to be, you got to be methodical. You got to be patient and you got to, you got to be willing to collaborate with, with the various teams that will help you get it done. And, uh, thankfully, thankfully we've, we've had some, uh, uh, we, we've got great relationships across the board and, uh we've been able to work through those difficulties uh, as we as we continue on our journey.
0: Yeah, and the other thing I think about when it comes to tooling, right, is, um, you know, when I think about like software engineering, right, where I spend a lot of my time, and you hire, you know, you hire, you're interviewing someone who's maybe, you know, in the industry or coming into the industry for the first time right out of school or been there for four or five years, and they really love this technology, right? I right. mean, how how much do you have to manage those expectations? I mean, it's to the point where they're interviewing me on what tools we use, because they only want to work with those tools. They don't want to work with some of the legacy tools, right, or products. They only want to work with the latest and greatest cool stuff, right? Is that something you have to think about in your role, or, or? or you're just lucky (laughs) (laughs) oh oh gosh i wish i was lucky and i wish i could avoid that
1: uh but the, the that space is evolving so quickly and new things are coming in uh at a pace that i've never seen in my entire in my entire career uh you know i would even say that existing partners that add similar capabilities we talked a little bit earlier about generative ai It's amazing to hear how certain partners are starting to add generative AI capabilities into their software packages and being able to control how those things are, 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 are added in, uh, is a, a, a monumental task in and of itself, but yeah, we constantly are, we're constantly challenged with, Hey, here's the latest and greatest. What do you think of this? And, And what we typically try to ground to is, uh, Where does it fit in the ecosystem? We've got a reference architecture. We've got, we've got components. What, what capability will this serve in our reference architecture? And do we already have something similar? Uh, we're, we're really big on if we have something that's close, can we make sure that it, can we do what this new capability, this new technology says within our existing environment? Can we make it work? Uh, obviously any sort of organization is challenged with managing expenses and what you don't want to do is have some of these newer cutting edge things come in. If you have something relatively close, gets you 80% there, let's let's try this first because that's going to be a more cost-effective play for us. And I, I think more companies are going to go that route uh, because of the expense pressures that uh, everybody, especially in the financial service in- industry, you know, expense pressures are uh, they're out there. Uh, inflation is high, uh, so whatever we can do to, to to try to leverage what we have today, as long as it's close enough, uh, that's what we strive for uh, going forward. Now, requires a lot of work. What do we have? You got to stay current on what you have within your organization, uh, and does it have the capability? So you have to have at least a high level understanding of, you know, what kind of services does it provide. But I would also say it's kind of fun. Because you do get to see, you see what's you know kind of leading out there as cutting edge. Uh, okay, now let's go do some research on our internal product stack and let's see what we have out there. Uh, so it makes for an exciting, it makes for an exciting day as we go forward.
0: Yeah. I mean, the business case always, is, always has to be there, right? You got to, I mean, in your role, you've got to constantly balance that, right? How to keep your people happy, right? Because, you know, you want to keep them happy and then, but at the same time, you've got to answer to the boss right around you know, how much you spent, right. And, and justify it. So. And,
1: and that's the key. I mean, it, it, if there is something new and it is, it, obviously you're going to take an interest, you're going to want to see, but you got to go through the due diligence to make sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a new thing, but we really have this new thing in this existing, uh, you know, you've got to make sure you're going through that due diligence, uh, because if you don't man alive, your expense structure can, uh, it can get, uh, lopsided. If uh,
0: if you don't have that right rigor uh, before you bring something in, no, that makes sense. Now, I would I would it would be a mistake for for me if I didn't ask you some very specific insurance questions, right? Or okay, get yeah, your view. Away. I mean, with thirty years of experience on the insurance side, right? I mean. And as a consumer of insurance, <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and which most people are, most people are, and which is why I, I love, I love this industry. I mean, I, I honestly love it. I would have never thought 30 years ago, I'd say, God, I want to, I really want to be in insurance, but, uh, I'm so glad I started the journey and have continued it thus far.
0: I find like, I find, I mean, in my role, like I said, it, it, in my previous role at Accenture, you bounced around. And I always found every industry so interesting as you got into the weeds trying to solve their problem. And I don't know if I could ever land on one, although I will tell you, um, uh, payers insurance is fascinating to me. I think it's probably because of all the regulations and everything around it, um, that it's constantly changing and the benefit it has on my life on a daily basis, right? Uh, But then insurance as whole and in banking, right? But you know, 30 years of insurance, like where's the world going? I mean, you touched on this a little bit with generative AI, but I mean, as you kind of go through this continually enhancing data governance and improving, you know, the visibility of your data to your business partners, right? Like within, within, you know, farmers, I mean, what, what, what do you see like two, three, five years down the road? I mean, that, that yielding for you, right? What is some of those, where's the industry going, I guess? And, a little i'll leave it a little bit open-ended so that you can maybe take me through that
1: yeah 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 and and you know what i think once again uh i i think we're at a uh we're at a pivot point within the insurance industry you're seeing a lot and i'll speak i'll speak specifically uh you know property casualty has where i uh, I, where i've spent the bulk of my time uh you've got a lot of self-driving cars that are that are out there uh You've got a lot of technologies to help minimize risk. so where where I kind of see us going, uh, I can see the p and c insurance market it, you know maybe shifting a little bit from, hey, here's an auto policy. Well, if you have a self-driving car, is it really an auto policy or is it a product liability type. And so you could see a shift of, is the auto insurance really the 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 primary product or is it a commercial insurance that that uh, you know affects? or some sort of product liability. So you could see some of that, that pivot, or I, I I should even say, you can see a lot of questions being asked, well, where really is, or who is accountable for the risk in a self-driving car? That, you know, yes, right now, I think it's still in the hands of a personal, you know, a personal individual, but if it's self-driving and there's a problem, does that shift to more of a product liability claim? That, so that's, that's one thing that will be a, a a very interesting question to see flush out and unfold over the next two, to you know, ten years as self driving cars. Uh, the second piece, with the amount of data available, the amount of information that's being created across uh, third parties, we have a wealth of information that can help or that can help us understand risk a lot better. And so I I do see us, you know, not only are we going to understand risk better and better price policies for what risk they have but i could also see and once again this gets into that more future forward that ai those chatbots. i could also see us taking that risk information and creating something that will allow customers to ask more about where their risks are so that they can take steps or actions proactively so i i think there's going to be a shift where we're going to you know we're going to help customers understand Here's some of the risks that you could be faced with. Here are some suggestions for things you may want to do. I think we'll get to a point where there's us being more proactive and helping customers uh, manage risk. And if you think about insurance in general, what's the only type of interaction you have with your insurance company? You get a bill, not exactly the most pleasant of uh, you know experiences. You're paying money, uh, and you're 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 making changes. So, is there a way for insurance companies? that create an experience and provide something back to cons- consumers, uh, I think that's where we're going to start to see, hey, we've got all this data, we're assessing risk, we're identifying why can't we help customers see where they can take steps to minimize their risk going forward. And I think that's that's going to be a fun, exciting time uh, as we move into the future.
0: Yeah. I, I... Here. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I I was just going to say, I, I think that's very interesting, right? Because I mean, I just had to, um, um, I just inherited two cars. Um, and, um, I, as we, we prepared to sell them or whatever, I just took them on and got, you know, how to update my insurance policy and I hadn't bought or, or, you know, taken on a new car, if you will, or insured a new car in probably eight years. Right. And I felt like I was learning again from scratch, right? Like you kind of think about, you know, she's asking me all these different questions and I'm like. God, I mean, I almost need to go learn insurance again because, excuse me, I'm not. I don't even understand some of these questions, right?
1: Well, and and see, once again, you you can uh, if we can get this right, you know, generative AI can really help if if we are able to create a knowledge base with insurance data. Now, right now, it doesn't work too well uh, because a lot of the documentation and detail are very technical. You know, getting back to we've got to look at how we. We capture information but that would be a great resource for individuals what kind of products do i need for my you know 2020 uh uh, uh chevy tahoe as an example uh you think of the power that somebody like not touching insurance but i have this generative ai model now i can ask this model what kinds of products i need to have on my car um i think that's where it will help individuals i what I don't like about the insurance industry as a whole is that we really don't have, you know, a lot of your iPhone, you're interacting with that thing on a daily basis or Android if you're a, you know, if you're an a, a, a Android user, you're interacting with it. Insurance, you don't really interact much with the product itself unless you have a claim, unless you get a bill. And those aren't exactly the best of time. Now, you want to step in and deliver? Absolutely, you want to handle those claims with excellent service, but you don't want people having claims. Well, how can we get more engaged with the consumers so that uh, 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 so that they can make the product feel real to them versus you know just something there? Uh, one one concept that I loved, or I'll, I'll even I'll even call it out. This was this was at Nationwide. Uh, they were trying to create these community offices. Where people could just come in and interact with Nationwide, you know, as as a product. Uh, yes, it did have sales agents in there, but they were company employees, and it was just intended to be a community office where you could go learn about insurance, safe environment, non-pressure, uh, no no real sales activity. It had conference rooms, and and so it was a nice experience that people could have with Nationwide if they chose to do that, and it, you know it was probably 15 years ago where they attempted these and they got away from them they weren't necessarily seeing the value but then i look at capital 1 and, and i think of capital 1 the credit card now granted you use your, your you use your card on a regular basis but the capital 1 cafe is exactly what you know it, what what nationwide was attempting to do and what was it, they figured it out you get let's put a coffee shop let's put a snack shop anybody's welcome you get perks if you're a capital 1 customer but Let's put that in here and let people, you know, let people come in and experience Capital One. And I just think that is the I, for me in this financial services space. I think that's one of the neatest experiences that I've seen created for a credit card company. You know, outside of reward points or anything of that nature, you get the opportunity to go into a cap. Hey, I'm a Capital One customer. I can go into Capital One Cafe, and they do a great job marketing it on uh, on on TV. I I, I just think. That's something that if we can figure out how to do that in the in the insurance space, would be a, uh, I think, a game changer for any company that's there. Now, Capital One, they're they're you know all, they're already starting down that path. Great concept, I think. Uh, replicating it'll be tough, but it, you know, is there a way for something similar to occur with the insurance space? I I would love to see that unfold.
0: And that's like the uh, upselling is probably the wrong word, right? I think there's probably a more elegant word, right? But taking the data, understanding where someone in is the, in their journey of life, right? You could probably almost predict, hey, this person is, you know, they just took on a house, right? It looks like they added, you know, a, a spouse or a partner to the policy. You know, should we start looking at, you know, what they're going to do with children and, you know, other things, umbrella policies and everything else, right? I mean, I mean, that's got to be some of that, you know, some of that analytics and where data comes in is, that target marketing, maybe that's the better way to, to look at it, right? Or phrase it. I mean, is are those some of the things and use cases you guys look at?
1: Yeah, yeah. We we are definitely looking at those and going through a lot of work to figure out how we can identify where folks are on their journey. Uh, I, I will say one of the best experiences I've had, uh, and, and once again, this is not something new. It's always been around. Uh, when I had my first kid, um, it, it's I'm not even going to say how long ago but it's been a while Um, uh, the, the local state farm agent. And and so we just got out of the hospital. We had our, our, our daughter at home. Um, This package shows up within three days after we get home. And it was from our state farm agency. Uh, Not that I was a customer, but they just sent it as a, as a marketing opportunity. And it was a how to book for, uh, new, new families. And I'm like, Hey, how did they, how did they know this? B now I was working at nationwide and I obviously, if I'm, if I'm with a company, I'm going to have their product, but I'm like, man alive. Number one, how did they know it? Number two, boy, if I ever am not with nationwide, this company is going to be a really strong second. Uh, uh and this person is going to be a really uh, strong candidate. I mean, it just hit it out of the park. It, 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 the only disturbing thing is, how did they find out so quick? And, and granted, you can find it out in the papers, and you can find it out. But it, it, this was, you know, eighteen to twenty years ago. How did they find it out so quick? And then, what what was the you know what was his mentality in in, in sending something? I I thought it was just brilliant for that agent on um being proactive.
0: Yeah, they've got a, they've got like a spy in the maternity ward, or like walking around and. <laughs> Right down everybody's name. It, and I wish I, I we didn't keep the book, but it wasn't it wasn't
1: a cheap book. I mean, it was uh, probably 500 pages of of uh, it was hardbound. And so it was, it, it was like, man, they they get the marketing thing and they get the life journey, and I I, I think we we're, we're exploring those types of activities as well. And uh, it's a it, with the, the amount of data available, I think you can get to those insights quicker. Uh, but once again, you want to be very, very mindful of privacy when you're when you're doing those things.
0: Yeah, I mean it's um, I mean I know that uh, like my parents right, they're in their 70s. When they get something that's very specific to them, it almost freaks them out a little bit, right? Like, how do they have all this information? What did I sign up for? And you know, they debate it for like a week, right? How do I how do I get off this mailing list, right? Or or whatever, right? And so, I don't know. Maybe my parents are a little bit more paranoid than others, but yeah. Uh, I just you know it makes it, it. I think it does. If you you know if you go too far, it makes people think. God, man, how these companies have so much on me, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But but for us, you know, this is a gen- we are in a generation where we see the potential. I, I, my mom, m- my mom and parents would be the same way. Uh, they would think, well, how on earth did this happen? Uh, for us, I think we know the possibility the potential. And, and imagine what our kids are gonna uh, you know, be, be tolerant Uh, the the future for them, uh, that's the big question. What does it hold, what, what things hold in store for them and what are they going to see in their lifetime that are going to creep us out? You know, we're going to sit there and go, whoa, wait a minute. How do you know this? And then our kids are going to be like, oh, they know this because X, Y, and Z. And it's just going to be a fascinating uh, journey for all of us to be on.
0: No, 100%. And my 14 year old, she's just got her cell phone last year. I mean she is she's signing up for everything right like i mean see i mean she's got to have probably 100 emails every every morning on what she should be buying right oh it's overwhelming how do they do it i I, i'm like
1: i'm hitting unsubscribe to everything so i don't get uh the overwhelmed
0: with the uh with with the messages yeah no that's 100 percent right all right, so what what am I missing, right? I mean, is there something else that I probably should have asked you, right? That is, you know, something you deal with on a daily basis or, you know, something that's always a challenge for you or something you're also excited about that I just, I didn't touch on that maybe you want to bring up and talk about.
1: You know what, uh, the last item that, I, uh, uh, that, that, that I've, I'm, I'm not saying I've dealt with it significantly from a farmer's perspective, but it is something that I constantly get questions on and kind of, you know, it's very similar to the political, uh, discussion that we started off with, but different, you know, what's the impact AI will have on, uh, employees. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to eliminate employees, um, through it. And I sit there and I'm like, you know, you can say that that could potentially happen. Yes, absolutely. There could be that potential. However, if you start to look at Uh, if you start to look at the capability itself and and I've read this example and it's funny, I read it in a book, uh, called radically human. Uh, I have it over here. Uh, it, and you mentioned Accenture early on, uh, Accenture was one of the companies that kind of sponsored this book. And, uh, they, they gave a really good grounding statement that I, I sit there and anytime says, oh, it's the AI is going to, you know, take away jobs. I'm like, okay, put this in perspective We don't have driverless cars yet and we are generating over 5.4 trillion miles of data related to drive a vehicle. We can teach a 16 year old kid how to drive and be successful at driving in about 40 hours. So if you think we are to a point where AI is going to take over jobs, just realize you could teach a kid something in 16 hours and we still haven't figured it out yet with all the data that we have for driverless cars so if it does happen it is not going to be for many years and it's not going to be something where the it, it, it's not going to be something that automatically you know triggers some sort of mass layoff but it is going to be a treasure trove of opportunity to learn more about how we can uh help contribute to that going forward but it resonated with me because uh, you know I've gone through several kids driving and I'm like, oh my God, yeah, yeah you know 40 hours and they're like turned over and ready to go and we still don't have it figured out yet for, for for driverless cars. Now they're making improvements, they're getting better. but that really hit me hit hit me at home with, you know, let's not look at it as, hey, it's gonna adversely affect the job market. Let's look at it as there's gonna be great opportunities for us to build new skills and uh we're still not there where it's going to take over the world
0: yeah that uh that book radically human that's uh paul doherty right was the uh yeah so paul i used to work i worked for paul for about uh five years at accenture yeah so uh and he was uh my sponsor for that ai telecom uh use case right so he was the executive that um helped me kind of you know implement that that project right At, at that telecom client um now, one thing I will say, though, around that, and, and I agree to your point, right? I mean, that's where AI, you know, has not been able to take um, learnings from different parts of a, of a topic or separate topics and apply them to a new topic, right? And so if you think about, you know, all the driving you do with your kids to take them to soccer practices and everything else before they're 16, they're constantly learning along the way, too, though, right? Even my nine-year-old, right, someone had convinced my nine-year-old, you know, if there's a white trim around the stop sign, it's a yield sign, you know, that old saying, right? So we, my nine-year-old talked about, we talked about that. So now he gets it, that's not a real thing, right? And then how do you, you know, can you turn the right on the red? So they learn, it's not just at 16, right? It's that progressive learning along the way. But to your point, right, you can put a kid in a car, they go to safe driving school for 40 hours. And they were manipulating the wheel and everything else. And it's what they learned along the way that AI can't do, right? Because it's so new, right? It's it's still a baby, right? It's still a baby in comparison, right? You you are spot on. You are absolutely
1: spot on. And there is that learn informal learning that AI will not necessarily it's gonna be the person that can figure out how do you incorporate the informal into the into the rigor, that's that's gonna be when the magic starts to happen.
0: Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you just one, one short story around the driverless cars. Um, I, I was in Scottsdale uh, for you know Christmas break or whatever, and my daughter wanted to go down to Tempe and walk around the ASU campus. And you know, all of a sudden we're crossing the street, and one of the Waymo cars pulls up at the stoplight, and I'm like, "Wait a second, I've always wanted to ride in one of those cars." So I went to the download of the Waymo app. And, and just filled it out with my Google account. And I was able to get a Waymo car, like an Uber car, within five minutes of me starting the app and everything. And it took me on like a, well, I screwed up on my location. It actually almost took me to a police station. <laughs> and, but I got to change the destination halfway through. It did a U-turn in the street and took me where I wanted to go. So it took me on like a 15 minute journey and, you know, my wife and I and my daughter in the car, and it was pretty seamless. It was pretty impressive, right? I got to say. But to your point, millions and millions and millions of miles and time and hours, and it has yet to even drive on the highway, right? I agree.
1: Well, and it's funny, you and I seem to have similar uh, similar interests uh, uh, because we're heading to Scottsdale this weekend. I will have to give it a go uh, and, and see see what the experience is.
0: Yeah, if you've never done it, I mean, it was, it was, it was interesting. Look, look left, and there's no one sitting next to you, right?
1: (laughs) I I've got to try it now. You you've uh, you sparked my interest, so I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, and that's always been. And even to your point, right? In 2016, 2015, I keep bringing up this timeline. I mean, I remember Paul Doherty and a bunch of other executives at Accenture going to Google's campus and going on like a driverless car just around campus and how they're going to say it's just going to up in the insurance industry. But here we are 10 years later, and it still hasn't, right? And I think Paul's, you know, and I agree with Paul, and I think you would agree too. AI, I mean, you need to be a consumer of AI if you don't want it to replace your job. Find a way to apply AI to your job and your life on a daily basis to make you more efficient and productive and participate with that change. Right. Hey,
1: and and, you know, I, what I think, and we never really went down this path through our discussion, but I think it emphasizes the importance of constant development, personal development. You have to stay on top of these trends and you have to incorporate them into your, your day-to-day activity. Uh, I think the knowledge and education aspect of someone's career is going to be much more important Uh, going forward because of the pace of change because of all these technologies. And I I know I set for myself, I I have a personal goal, two hours a week. I want to do something to learn some new skill. And I hit my team up hard with, you need to constantly be developing. You need to constantly be looking for ways to be better. If you don't, I think your skills do become outdated and they do, it can happen quick and, and, uh, if you, you, if you don't take care and you don't figure out how to take advantage, uh, you could be um, about left behind in this new world.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I, I couldn't say that better, right? I mean, I think it's constantly, the constant learning. I mean, any senior, any senior person that you've ever heard of, well, it's, whether it's Warren Buffett or, you know, the CEO of Arvind Krishna of IBM, right, or CEO of Accenture, uh, Julie Sweet, I mean, they all talk about that constantly, evolving learning and and taking on new skills right
1: which is fun it is fun if you have the right mindset it's a fun but you got to be You got the day of sitting in a job and doing the same thing for 20 years that's gone gone poof uh uh but yeah yeah so well i what else what else do you have for me i i the great discussion uh let uh I'll let him know that I love that book. I jotted notes down. I gave it to some of my team to to take a look at. So uh, uh, I really appreciate uh, I appreciated the read.
0: He has another one out, I think, as well. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on it, but um, he's been. You should go see. I mean, he's got a bunch of videos out that he's and speaking. You know, videos that he's done recently around this topic, right? And it it'll ease if you've got teams that are really. Concerned about their job and their future, he does a decent job of, I think a good, more than decent job, a good job of explaining, you know how how it's kind of your responsibility to embrace AI and and that's the the mentality you should have, right?
1: And, and I I love the way he calls that out, and it, you can see that as a common theme. And I know when I when I read any, I mean, he even had a chapter specific to uh, uh, talent um so i think it re- really i think it highlights the day of sitting sitting by the way i got my degree i'm done Ooh, you know you may have had a degree that's table stakes now you got to constantly be finding ways to improve your skill set
0: yeah many people are saying i mean with the new workforce and the demand and the technology uh, that's out there that a college degree might not even be worth it for everybody as well right so If you've got the ability to learn, consume knowledge and and go out there, I mean, there's, there's a, you know, something to be said is go out there and get your hands dirty and get going. Right. So don't, don't tell my kids that because I really want them to go to college, but.
1: (laughs) Oh, I, I, uh, me as well. Once again, we could have a good discussion. We're having that debate though with one of my, with one of my children is, is college really the right thing for you? Uh, so
0: uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, once again, parenting. We we haven't touched on even parenting. How can AI yeah, that, help us? That parent?
0: Is next hour. Yeah, that podcast is next hour. Oh, okay. Oh.
1: hour. <laughs> we we need more than an hour.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Parenting. Just show up and try. That's about. That's the only advice I could give you. <laughs> you want this book on it? Throw it out the
1: window because it's not going to work. There's nothing. There's nothing. You, you got to just show up and listen.
0: Yeah, anybody who gives you great advice about parenting doesn't know what they're doing, right?
1: (laughs) Or doesn't have kids. Uh, They don't know what they're doing or they don't have kids.
0: Yeah, they're raising dogs, not kids, right? (laughs) Yes.